Welcome to the Prince College Podcast. We are so thankful that you've tuned in. Our hope with this podcast is that it teaches you more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. With that in mind, let's dive right in. Hope you enjoy. Amen. You can grab a seat. Can we give it up for the band one good time? I genuinely feel like that gets better every single week, and I'm not just saying that. I love worshiping with you guys. I love hearing you worship King Jesus. It's an honor to be here with you tonight. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be tonight. But before we dive into that, I've just got a little story that I've got to tell you. And I've got to admit, it has absolutely no relevance to what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay, but, but about an hour ago, I got a text from our fearless leader, Pastor Josh. Okay, we, yes, we can, we can clap for Pastor Josh, that's great. And you may not know, Pastor Josh is away right now. He's on a trip with Compassion International, and he's doing some speaking and stuff like that, I believe. I'm not really sure everything that he's doing. But I do know that today, he's in like South Texas, and today, they took him on a gator hunt, okay, which... It's like the most comical thing in the world to me, if you know Pastor Josh, to think about Pastor Josh hunting gators like he's on an episode of Swamp People, okay? And he sent me these pictures of a gator that he killed. Stephen, can you just show me the first picture real quick? Look at this thing, all right? Okay, all right. But for reference, okay, time out. For reference, you need to see this compared to him standing up. So look at this. Guys, That is a 13-foot alligator that he killed today in the swamp of South Texas. And I just thought you needed to know that your pastor is one bad dude, okay? So next time you see Pastor Josh, you definitely need to ask him about his, you know, I don't know, adventures with the alligator. You can take those down, Stephen. I just really thought you wanted to know that. So this is really great. It had no relevance to what we're talking about tonight. Okay, but now we're going to come on back. Now we're going to dive into scripture together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. What you need to know, if this is your first time with us, like Emma said just a few moments ago, we're in the middle of a series right now that we're calling Kingdom Now. And we're looking at this sermon that Jesus actually gave himself. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we find it in Matthew 5 through 7, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And what Jesus begins to do in this sermon is he begins to lay out a vision for the kingdom of God, what life is meant to be like. And where we're at in the sermon, we've seen Jesus lay some theological foundation, and he's begun to turn the corner and start to give us some practical application of how we are to live our lives as the people of God. And he's begun to address some specific issues in our lives, calling us to live a life that brings him honor and brings him glory, but in a way that doesn't turn our lives into some spiritual checklist, but is all about drawing closer to him, learning more about who he is, what he has done, and what that means for us. And so we've already seen so far, what we looked at last week is this idea that life in the kingdom, that it's not about behavior modification. But it's about heart transformation, that God doesn't want to just fix your behavior, that he really wants to get at your heart. He wants you. He wants relationship with you, and he wants to change you from the inside out. And what we saw last week is whenever that begins to happen, it will transform our relationships. It will transform the way that we relate to one another. And so last week, we talked about what it looks like whenever we get angry with one another and how we're meant to deal with those situations and how we're meant to be people who seek reconciliation over alienation. All right, we really enjoyed that together. But tonight... 
Jesus is going to get a lot more personal. Tonight, what we see is that Jesus begins to get a little bit more personal, and he begins to address a topic that some of us are uncomfortable with because Jesus begins to talk about how whenever we come to him and we experience a transformation of heart, that it will transform the way that we pursue purity in our relationships. And what we are going to see tonight is that Jesus, whenever we come to him, he challenges the way that we are meant to think about sex and about sexuality. That's where we're headed tonight. Okay, Jesus is going to get real up close and personal with this one tonight. Okay, so I hope that you are ready for that. If it's your first time, just know we keep it real here at Prince College. Okay, that's what we're talking about. We're going at it. But on a serious note, I do want to say this, guys. On a serious note, I do want to say this. I know that it's sometimes it's awkward for us to talk about these things. It's awkward for us to talk about sex. It's awkward for us to talk about sexuality. But here's the deal. The reality of the issue is that the issues of sex and sexuality cause all kind of problems in our day. And they come with all kinds of pain. They come with all kind of heartbreak. And Jesus speaks very clear to how, clearly about how we are to pursue sex and sexuality. He speaks very clearly to it. And because of that, I think it's really important that we talk about it. And I think that we can have an adult conversation about it tonight. You see, I, I tell people all the time, people will always come up to me and they'll be like, how are things with the college kids? That's what they'll say to me. And I always correct them. I'm like, college students, they're not kids. They're full-grown adults. So prove it to me tonight whenever we talk about sex and sexuality. Can we do that? Okay, don't make me laugh up here, Tyler Brew. I'm looking at you. All right. We're going to talk about these things. We're going to dive into them tonight. We're going to be in Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. But before we dive into the text tonight, will you say one more quick word of prayer with me? Father, I'm just so thankful tonight. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for this group of people. I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather here in this place and to worship you and to open your word and to see what your word says about how we are to live our lives, even whenever it's a really difficult topic, even whenever it's something that makes us slightly uncomfortable. But God, I pray that in the discomfort in the little bit of awkwardness, that you really would speak loudly. I pray that you would speak clearly. This is an issue that we all deal with. This is an issue that we all need wisdom on. So would you show us how you would have us to pursue sex and sexuality in the way of the kingdom? And I want to invite you right now where you sit, if you're willing, would you just say a quick word of prayer and just ask that God would use tonight to speak to you to really break some chains, maybe some things that you're struggling with, to bring some clarity to your life and to your heart. Would you just pray right here in the silence that God would use this moment to speak directly to your heart? Father, we come to you. We're thankful, we're hopeful, we're expectant, we want you to move in this place. So would you use us? Would you speak to us? Would you use these moments that we share? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 27 through 30 tonight. We're going to kind of break this text into two parts. We're going to look at the first two verses first, talk about those for a little while, then look at the second two verses later. So I'm going to read these first two verses for us, starting in Matthew 5, verse 27. This is Jesus following up a teaching on anger, and he says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So let's going to pause right there. We need to talk about these things first because what we see Jesus do here in this moment is that he starts this passage of teaching. He starts this section of teaching in a very similar way to he started the teaching on anger. Remember last week he started, he said, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And here he says, you've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So Jesus, again, is starting from a place of commonality. He's starting at a common ground with these people and he's saying, hey, you have heard it taught not to commit adultery, but I'm telling you that it's far more than that. And he begins to flip this teaching on his head, and he says it's not just about adultery, it's about the thoughts that you entertain in your mind, and not even allowing yourself to have lustful thoughts. Now, for us to fully grasp the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here, we need to define a couple of terms. We need to make sure that we're all on the same page whenever we know that we're talking about and that we know what we're talking about whenever it comes to adultery and lust. So let's define these terms together. I don't know if you know what the word adultery actually means. It's not a word that we use very often. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot in like religious circles. Maybe whenever you think of adultery, you think of that time you had to read The Scarlet Letter in high school. Maybe you think about the movie Easy A with Emma Stone. I don't know what you think about whenever you think about adultery, but we need to define this term together. So I'm gonna offer you a very, very basic and a very, very broad definition of adultery from a biblical worldview, okay? So whenever we're talking about adultery, for our purposes tonight, what I'm talking about is this, that adultery is the practice of sexuality outside of the context of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. I'm going to say that one more time. That adultery from a biblical worldview is the practice of any kind of sexuality outside of the context of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. This is what the Bible teaches is, in fact, adultery. Not at all a popular definition in today's culture. But we need to talk about this. This is what the Bible teaches about sexuality. And I think that there's so many misconceptions about what the Bible teaches about sexuality. Sex and sexuality, we need to understand this. They're gifts from God. But historically... Within the context of the church, and I would say even within specifically within the context of the church in the South, we as Christians have done a terrible job of talking about sex and sexuality because it's awkward, right? And so we just tend to not talk about it, or whenever we do talk about it, we always talk about it in the negative sense. And whenever we do that, what we're doing is we're reinforcing this kind of shame culture whenever it comes to sex and sexuality, which leads young people, young Christians, to have a really warped view of sex and sexuality. And it leads people outside the church to think that Christians just, like, hate sex, which is not even close to true. We need to understand that sex is a good thing, all right? You can put that in your notes, okay? Sex is good. Sex is a gift that has been given to us by God. It is a gift that has been given by God to his creation. But hear this, hear this. That as the creator and as the giver of this gift, God absolutely does have the right to tell you how to use it. Makes sense, right? He's the giver. He's the creator of this gift. And he tells us the way by which we are meant to enjoy this gift. And the way that he says that this gift is meant to be enjoyed freely is within the, within the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. This is the biblical worldview or God's design for sexuality 
as it should be. Which means that anything contrary to this design, anything that goes against this design, is in fact adultery in the eyes of God. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Any thought, any word, or any action that goes against this design is in fact adultery in the eyes of God. And that's serious. And we need to understand the severity of that. Because you see, adultery is a sin against people and it's a sin against God. You need to understand that. That adultery is a sin against people because uh, whenever you commit adultery, whether it's a thought that you were thinking in your mind, something that you were watching on a phone screen or on a computer screen, or an action that you were committing with someone else, that's a sin against another person. And we need to understand that. That's serious. It's, it, it makes a difference. But it's also a sin against God because it goes against his design for sexuality and his design for marriage. This is a corruption of God's perfect design. And we see this all over our culture today. As with all things, sin leads mankind to corrupt God's design. And because of sin, what we have seen in our world is a warped contorted, corrupted view of sex and sexuality. And sex is no longer in the culture at large viewed as a gift that has been given by God to experience in the safety and the protection of a marriage relationship, but sex has been changed and twisted into something that is all about me and all about us and our desires and our needs in any given moment. And that's never what sex was meant for. And that is where Lust comes into place. We need to talk about this word. What does lust mean? This is really fun stuff to talk about, okay? What does lust mean? What does this talk about? What does it mean? Lust defined, again, really broad, really simple definition for you tonight. Lust is looking for pleasure for me at the expense of another. Lust is looking for pleasure for me at the expense of another. Lust often involves looking for pleasure for ourselves without any regard to the consequences or how it might impact someone else. What you need to understand is that lust is always focused on me and focused on my desires. What lust does is lust takes the beauty of sex and sexuality and it twists it, twist it into something that is all about me and what I want and what I need in any given moment. It takes the gift, which is sex, which is meant to be enjoyed in the security and protection of marriage, and it exploits it into something that is used for my own pleasure. What lust often leads us to do is this. Lust often leads us to look at someone as an object meant to satisfy me rather than as a soul meant to glorify God. That's what lust leads us to do. Lust leads us to look at someone as an object meant to satisfy me rather than as a soul meant to satisfy God. And when that mentality comes, whenever we operate in that mentality, there's all kinds of corruption. There's all kinds of brokenness and there's all kinds of distortions on God's perfect design, God's gift of sexuality. That's why we see things like the rise of pornography, an industry that has literally been built on the backs of the lust and lustful hearts of men. That's what it is. That's what pornography is. That's when we see people struggling with things like masturbation, impure thoughts, sex outside of marriage, marital unfaithfulness. We see these things because they are a product of lust within our hearts. They're all distortions on God's perfect design. And what Jesus is saying here, 
in this really serious text. He's saying, this matters. This matters. And it's not just about you not committing adultery in a physical sense. It's about the things you're choosing to think about. It's about the thoughts you're entertaining in your mind. It's about the things that you're letting into your life. It's about your thoughts, not just your actions. Because remember what we discussed last week. Jesus is not just focused on fixing the external things that he wants to get at the internal issues. He doesn't want to just treat the symptom. He wants to get at the disease. He wants to get at the root of the problem. And what we see is that adultery is a symptom. Lust is the disease. And he's trying to attack the issue. He wants to change us from the inside out so that we can live the lives that he's called us to live. He wants freedom for us in this. So I want you to see just a really simple truth. In this text tonight, right, this is not revolutionary, but this is simple, and I think that, it's, that it means something. I think that it matters. This is going to be behind me on the screens, okay? The thing I want you to understand is that lustful thoughts are not kingdom thoughts. Plain and simple. Point blank, period. Lustful thoughts are not kingdom thoughts because lust is not a product of the kingdom. Lustful thoughts will always involve the exploitation of another using someone for my pleasure and my gain, whether it be in my imagination, whether it be on my phone screen, or whether it be in a physical relationship, it is all deviating from God's design to satisfy me. And what I need you to understand tonight, this is a really pivotal truth, and you can take this one to the bank, okay? Exploitation of another human being will never be the way of the kingdom. Exploitation of another human being will never be the way of the kingdom. That is never the direction that God is going to call you to go. That is not life as it should be. And because of this, because of the severity of this, and because of the pervasiveness of this problem, this is a pervasive problem in Jesus' day, it's a pervasive problem in our culture, in our day, here and now. And because of that, Jesus gives us some really practical teaching of how we are to deal with this issue. And this teaching, just fair warning, sounds crazy. Read it with me in verses 29 through 30. Jesus continues to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, this is serious. This seems so daunting. And we really need to talk about this because this is one of those teachings that, like, let's just be honest. This one sounds crazy. Okay, like this is one of those teachings that whenever those outside the church read this, they're like, do you really believe this stuff? Like this is just kind of one of those teachings that we really need to pause and say, what is it that Jesus is saying here? I think for us to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to first understand what he's not saying. What Jesus is not doing here is he's not encouraging self-mutilation. He's not encouraging self-harm. You need to understand that from the get-go. Doing those things would not fix the bigger issue. Like we've already talked about, lust is a product of the heart. Lust is something that happens internally. So even if you gouged out both eyes, cut off both hands, you could still be thinking lustful things, all right? Again, I know this is awkward to talk about, but we're going for it, all right? Even if you cut off both hands, you gouge out both eyes, you can still think lustful thoughts. So Jesus is not encouraging self-mutilation here. He's calling for self-discipline. 
So not self-mutilation, but self-discipline. He's calling us to take action against the sin that is plaguing us. Understand, he's calling us not to stand idly by, but to do something about it, to take specific measures in our lives to remove access to that which leads us to sin. That's what he's calling for here. And we need to hear that practical teaching because here's the deal. For far too many of us, whenever it comes to sin in our own lives, especially whenever it comes to sexual sin in our own lives, we take far too passive an approach. And we don't want to deal with it. And we don't want to get active. And we don't want to wage war against it. So we sit idly by and what happens? We continue to deal with it day by day, month by month, year by year. And all of a sudden, years have gone by, and nothing has changed, and we're still, still dealing with the same sins that have been plaguing us for years on end because we're not taking action. Jesus is calling us to take action here. He's calling us to realize that whenever it comes to sin in our lives, we're dealing with a very real problem. We're dealing with a very real threat, and Jesus is calling us to take action because he realizes that drastic problems call for drastic measures. Drastic problems call for drastic measures. We actually have to do something about this issue if we ever want to experience freedom from it. And now, I want to I pause right here, and I, I really want to address this. I know that whenever we're talking about these things, we're talking about sexual sin, and we're talking about the need for self-discipline and fighting against sexual sin, whenever I start talking about that, there may be several reactions in the room. Maybe you're a person who, by God's grace, you've never dealt with sexual sin. Praise God. This is still relevant for you. I want you to know how to fight against this. I want you to know how to counsel friends. I want you to know how to deal with it if it ever crops up in your life. But maybe you're in here, and you've been dealing with this for a long time. And whenever I start talking about the importance of self-discipline and the importance of fighting back against this, your immediate response is for your head to hang a little low. Because this has been something that you've been dealing with for a long time. And you hear me say that, and you think, Adam, I've tried. I've given it my best effort. I have done everything that I know how to do, but it seems like I've failed time and time again. Maybe you're in here tonight and this has been a long-standing struggle for you. If the statistics are true, and I believe that they are, there's a huge number of you in this room, in this room, in this space, right here, right now, if the statistics are true, both male and female, who have struggled with issues like addictions to pornography, who have struggled with issues like masturbation, impure thoughts, who've struggled with maintaining purity and dating relationships. You've struggled with lust for a long time and you're dealing with that shame and knowing how to fight against it. And you may be in here tonight and you may genuinely desire to do better. You may genuinely desire to get past this in your life, but you feel like you can't. And no matter how self-disciplined you try to be, you just can't seem to find the freedom that you crave. And whenever people begin to speak about things like this, the overwhelming feelings in your heart are those of condemnation and shame. If that is you in this room tonight, I want you to understand something. I am not trying to shame you. I am not trying to rub your nose in your failure and tell you to buck up and do better. I would never do that to you. That is not my heart for you. I have been where you are. I have struggled with these things just like many of you. I am not 
claiming perfection here. I'm not standing on this stage saying, I've done this, everything perfectly, just follow me. That's not what I'm doing here. I understand the pain that comes with sexual sin. And I want you to understand that what I'm doing here is I want to show you what I know. Because what I know is this. I know that we have a God in heaven who wants so much more for us than what many of us are experiencing in the realm of sexual sin. He wants you to walk in freedom and no longer in bondage. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to walk in confidence and no longer in shame. And my heart for you, what my desire is in these moments, is not just to have an awkward conversation for the sake of having an awkward conversation. My heart for you is not to shame you or condemn you, but my heart for you is I want to show you what the Bible teaches and help lead you in a better way. To pursue life and sexuality in the way that God intended for you to do, in a way that will glorify God and be a blessing to you and a blessing to those around you, that will be a blessing to others and not exploit others. That's what I want for you. That's what we're doing here tonight. So key in on this with me. I understand that the problem for many of us is not with our desire. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room and you struggle with sexual sin, that will bother you. Okay, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if you struggle with sexual sin, that will bother you. That's true of all sin. Okay, so if you are struggling with sin and it doesn't bother you, you should have questions. But if you're struggling with sin and it bothers you, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit working within you. So often our issue is not in our motivation, it's with our method. Our issue is not with our motivation, it's with our method, the way that we go about fighting against this sin. Because you see, with all sin, but especially with sexual sin, what tends to happen is this. We try to fight against this in our own power because we don't ever want to share this with someone else because it's awkward and we're ashamed of our failures, we're ashamed of our mistakes, and so we don't want to invite anyone else in, which results in us trying to fight against it in our own power and we're left powerless because we keep this sin in the dark. I was thinking about this a lot this week, just in my own life, in the lives of friends, and especially in your lives, and just the struggles that we face with sin, the internal things that we deal with that we often keep hidden. You see, the things that we've been talking about, even a little bit of that contempt and anger that we talked about last week, and especially this one this week, whenever we're talking about lust, these are things that are really easy to hide from the vast majority of people. Because they're things that we often struggle with in private, behind closed doors. So they're often easy to hide from other people. They're often easy to keep in the dark. But that's what makes them the most dangerous. But I want you to understand tonight, this is also coming on the screens behind me, is that sin is most powerful whenever it's kept in the dark. Sin is most powerful when it's kept in the dark. This is whenever it has its tightest grip on us, is whenever we keep it in the dark. So I was thinking about this this week. I couldn't help but think of this analogy, and hopefully this will alleviate a little bit of tension in the room, okay? Uh, one of the things that you may or may not know about me is that I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. Any other Harry Potter fans in the house? Think, you're so proud of it. I love that. All right, one of the main reasons that I have rounded glasses is because my life goal is to aspire to be more like Harry Potter. That's no joke. Whenever I went to the glasses store, you could ask my wife. I put these on. I'm like, I feel more like Harry Potter. I need these in my life, okay? Real life. Real, that is God's honest truth. I thought about this this week. Whenever I was thinking about sin's power in the darkness. If you're not a Harry Potter fan, it's fine. Just geek out with me here for a minute. Within the Harry Potter stories, there's this magical plant. And it's just, it sounds so dorky to talk about. There's this magical plant that is called Devil's Snare. 
All right, if you're familiar with the Harry Potter stories, perhaps you know about Devil's Snare. If you don't know about Devil's Snare, it's this plant in the Harry Potter stories that thrives in the darkness. And whenever people come into contact with it, it envelops them. It entangles them. It strangles them. It holds them tightly. And the more that you try to fight against it, the more that you try to get away from it in your own power, the tighter it constricts, the tighter it grabs until eventually it suffocates you. It's one gnarly bush, okay? But the only way to get away from it is to stop striving in your own power and to expose it to light. That whenever you stop fighting in your own effort, and you expose it to light, the clutches of the devil's snare, they recoil, and the person is set free. And now I don't know if J.K. Rowling did that on purpose, but that is exactly how it works with sin. That whenever we come into contact with sin, what it does to us is it entangles us, it envelops us, it grabs a tight hold to us. And whenever it comes to things like sexual sin, oftentimes we don't want to share about it with other people. So we fight in our own power. We strive and we try to be more disciplined. But what we see over time is it grabs tighter and tighter and tighter to us. Some of you know what that feels like. Some of you in the room, you feel that tonight. You feel the weight of your own sin. You feel the shame. You feel trapped. You feel alone, and you feel like there's no way that you can escape. But in the midst of that, I need you to understand that Jesus wants so much more for you than this. He wants you to experience freedom. But for you to experience freedom, you have to stop striving in your own power. We have to begin to bring our sin to the light because hear this, it is in the light that sin begins to lose its grip. That's what I want for you. I want you to experience this freedom. So the question becomes, what does this look like? How do we do this? How do we practically apply this to our lives as college students living in this day and age? I have three applications for us tonight as we wrap this up. Three things that you can do. And these are three things that you can do to fight against all sin in your life. But for tonight, I am speaking specifically about sexual sin. So three practical action steps. They're going to be on the, uh, the screen behind me. The first is this. The first is that we need to repent. We need to repent. The first thing that you need to do is you need to get to a place that you're willing to call your sin, sin. You need to understand that your actions are a sin against God and a sin against the people that he has made. Call it sin, be honest about what it is, and you run to him and ask for his forgiveness. Repentance, this word, again, used a ton in church culture. What this means is to leave something behind, to leave one direction and pursue a completely different direction. To leave something behind and to pursue something new. To acknowledge one thing as the wrong way to go and to pursue the right way to go. We are to repent, to come to God to acknowledge our faults. But see, many of us don't even want to start there because we have this false perception that before we ever go to God, that we've got to clean ourselves up. We may not ever say that out loud, but we operate that way. And whenever we're struggling with sin, oftentimes the last thing that we want to do is to run to God because we feel like we're too broken, too unclean, and we have to clean ourselves up before we can ever come to him. Understand this, that is not a biblical way of thinking. That is not 
what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us to run to God in the midst of our sin, and in him we will find forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is good news. You're not the one who has to clean yourself up. He's the one who cleans you up. So you don't be ashamed to run to God. You run to him even in the midst of your sin because he in his presence is where you will find healing. He is inviting you to him. So you go. You get alone with God. The first step to fighting against your sin is to repent. And whenever you repent, whenever you acknowledge your sin to God, it helps to actually be specific. Whenever we pray, we love to speak in these generalities. Oh, God, I'm struggling. God, I messed up again last night. What we do is we're afraid to even name the sin out loud. But if we're not even willing to speak about it or talk about it, that sin still has power over us. All right, here's the deal. God sees and knows all things. You're not hiding anything from him. So be specific. Acknowledge your sin for what it is. Come to him. Ask for forgiveness. Admit your poverty of spirit and admit that you need him. You repent. And the second thing that you do, this one's kind of two in one. The second thing that you do is you remove and you replace. You remove and you replace. I've been thinking a lot about this. You see, one of the things that I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to lose a little weight and get in shape because you see tomorrow I actually turn 28 which is crazy I feel a little old that's my birthday tomorrow so thank you Trace I appreciate you so I've realized that as I'm getting older I can't just eat whatever I want anymore and expect to maintain some semblance of athleticism doesn't happen anymore so enjoy it while you can but it's starting to catch up with me a little bit so I'm trying to lose a little weight I'm trying to get in better shape and what I'm having to do is I'm having to remove unhealthy behaviors from my life and replace them with healthy behaviors. And so what this means is I actually have to get off the couch, stop eating Sour Patch Kids, stop watching Netflix, and I actually have to go to the gym. I have to eat, thank you, David, Michael, I knew you were going to say something. All right, you have to actually have to go work out. I have to eat healthier snacks and healthier alternatives. And at first, I'll admit to you, this was really, really difficult, and I really didn't like it. But what I've noticed is this, that the more that I do the healthy thing, the more that I want to do the healthy thing. And there's this principle that I really want you to understand tonight. This may be helpful for you to jot down. Is this, is that we crave what we consistently consume. We crave what we consistently consume. So if you're consistently consuming unhealthy behavior, you're going to want more unhealthy behavior, and it's going to lead you to a more unhealthy place. But if you're consistently consuming healthy behavior... You're going to want more healthy things, and it's going to lead you to a healthier place. So we need to change that which we consume. We need to remove and replace. This is what Jesus is speaking about whenever he's telling us to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands. He's telling us to remove access to the things which cause us to sin. The Bible talks a lot about this idea. Romans 13 talks about making no provision for the flesh. What we're told here is to remove the things that tempt us to sin, that we don't need to needlessly put ourselves in situations in which we're going to be tempted to sin. So we need to remove those things from our life and replace them with other things, which means for you, if you're actually wanting to fight against sin, you actually have to take time to think about this. And you got to think about your life. And you got to think about situations, moments, and things that tempt you to do things that you know you should not do, that tempt you to sin. And you need to remove those things from your life 
and replace them with something else. This may look like if you're a person who maybe one of the areas where you're tempted to sin is late at night whenever you're laying in bed and you're scrolling through your phone, getting ready to go to sleep. Maybe you're scrolling through Instagram, but before long you end up scrolling through things that you know you ought not to be scrolling through, okay? If that's you, then you need to remove that behavior from your life. Maybe it looks like leaving the phone out in the living room whenever you go to bed and actually buying yourself a $10 alarm clock from Walmart. Okay, you can do that. I'll sponsor it. Okay, I'll buy your alarm clock. Okay, you can go do that. And you can charge your phone in the living room and you can lay in bed at night and you can read. You can read the Bible. You can read anything. You can read Harry Potter. You can read it, okay? You can read and you can make yourself sleepy and you can go to sleep without sinning. That can happen. That's a really practical step that you can take today. You can do that tonight. Maybe for you, that's not it. Maybe for you, you're in a relationship and where you find yourself tempted the most is whenever you're at your boyfriend's house, your girlfriend's house late at night and you got the door closed and you're all alone. And you know that it's often in those moments that things happen that you know shouldn't happen. So maybe you remove that behavior from your life and you don't hang out late at night behind closed doors alone. You go and you spend time in more public places. You go grab a milkshake at cookout. You go for a walk. Maybe you come over to mine and Jillian's house and you lose at some board games because we will destroy you, Okay. Come do some things. Do something else. You remove that which is unhealthy, and you replace it with that which is healthy. We need to stop dwelling on the things and putting ourselves in the environments that are going to lead us to sin, and we need to replace those things with the things that are going to stir our affections for the Lord. Philippians 4 talks about this idea. He talks, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, you think on these things. Remove the impurity and replace it with purity. And the last thing that you need, if you're going to fight against sin, and this one's really important, is you need to report. You need to report. You need to have someone in your life, maybe even a couple of people, who you can be honest with about your struggles. Because here's the deal. All of us fall short. Spoiler alert, there's not a single perfect person in this room. And sexual sin may not be what you struggle with, but you struggle with something else. And we all need people to fight against sin in our own lives. This is one of the main reasons that God gave us the gift of each other. He gave us the gift of the church to come alongside one another. And you need people that are going to come alongside of you, people who you are able to be honest with and real with about how things are going in your life, people who will celebrate with you whenever things are going well, and people who will pray with you whenever things are going poorly. You know, James 5 talks about this idea. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So you find people. Surround yourself with good people. Maybe you find a couple of guys or a couple of girls from your family group, and you get really honest, and you commit to fighting against sin together in your life, and you hold them accountable, and they hold you accountable, and you surround yourself with people who love you and who love Jesus and who are going to point you closer to Jesus. You need that in your life. Don't settle for superficial relationships. Have deep, meaningful relationships that allow us to fight against sin together. Oftentimes, we see a reluctance to do this. We don't want to do this because we don't want to be honest with people. We don't want to let people in. We're ashamed. We're afraid of what people may think if we share the innermost parts of our being, if we share the things that we're struggling with. We're afraid that they may judge us. But hear me say this. You should never be afraid to confess your sin to another believer and ask that believer to help you fight against that sin. 
that fear that you may feel is not from God, it is from the enemy. The enemy wants to keep you entangled in your sin. He wants to keep you struggling with sin day by day, but the God of heaven who has invited you into his kingdom wants you to know that because of what his son Jesus did on the cross, you no longer have to walk in bondage and you can actually walk in freedom. But one of the main ways that you actually begin to experience this freedom in his life, in your life, is that you learn how to get honest with God's people. We've got to do that, y'all. We've got to learn how to be honest with one another, to surround ourselves with people who love Jesus and who love us and who will point us closer to him. And this time I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. We're going to go ahead and wrap things up tonight. But I want you to understand that this is what the people of God are meant to do. We're meant to be people. The way of the kingdom will always lead us to fight against sin. The way of the kingdom will always lead us to fight against sin in our own lives and alongside one another. And what I want for us, what I want for you, is I want you to be people who fight well, who stand firm, who resist the temptations of the devil, and who live to exalt your king. I want us to be people in the way that we live and pursue sexuality, to be people who really magnify the kingdom here and now. Would you pray with me? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Here in this moment, I just, I know that this is a really heavy topic. I know this is really awkward, and it can just, it can feel a little cringy at times, but I also know that this is a topic that many, many of us are dealing with. And I want to encourage you in a moment like this, like let's not just breeze past this moment. Let's not just rush past this moment. Let's actually respond. If God is stirring something in your heart, don't leave tonight without acting on it. There's several actions that you can take. Maybe your first step is you need to start with just repentance. Maybe here in a moment, whenever the band leads us in another song, maybe you just need to sit in your seat for a minute. And you just need to pray. And you just need to get real with God. Perhaps you want to go ahead and take advantage of that report step. And you want to grab a friend who's close by you. And you want to pull them aside. You want to talk to them. And you want to ask for prayer from them. You can do that in this moment. You don't have to sit in your seats. You can spread out all across this room. You can talk to one another. You can pray to one another. Believe that truth from James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous power is powerful as it is working. Maybe tonight you just want to talk to someone. I want you to know that here in a moment as the band leads us in this song, that I'm going to be standing in the back. There's going to be a couple more of us. I'd be honored to speak with you. And there's nothing that you could share with me that would make me think any less of you. I would be honored to come alongside you, to encourage you, to pray with you. But I want to encourage you in these moments. Let's not check out. Let's dig into what God is doing in us so we can see him do more through us. That's what I want for you. So if you want to stand and sing, do that. If you want to sit and pray, do that. If you want to grab a friend and pray, do that. If you want to come talk to us, do that. But however God is calling you to respond, I encourage you to do so. Father, we thank you so much for these moments that we share. We thank you for the truth of your word and that it speaks to all areas of our life, no matter how uncomfortable it may make us feel in the moment. And God, I pray that we be people pursue 
purity the way that you would have us to. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Prince College Podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, you can check us out online at www.pabc.org backslash college, or you can follow us on social media at at prince.college. We'll see you next time.